Amen. Well, we are in Jude, and as we've been going through the book of Jude, we know one thing is that uh, God is uh, speaking to us, and God is speaking powerfully to us. And so I do want to uh, uh, just to, uh, to continue just to allow the Spirit of God to reveal to us the things that He wants to reveal, the things that He wants to teach us. And as we go through the Word of God, it is just amazing because we know that, uh, that there are many things that Jude writes about for us to learn and for us to chew on. And what I am reminded of today is, is the, the great treasures that the Word of God has. We know that His Word is filled with great truth, and it is going to remind us today on certain things that, uh, that we need to be aware of. It's going to be reminding us on a topic that is very real to us. And this topic that He's going to reveal to us is about sin, sin that destroys. But before I go into that, it's important that we understand one concept here is that Satan will blind us to sin. See, there's many times that we don't even know that we're, we're sinning in this area. And this is what God wants to bring to life today. This is what God wants to reveal to us. As a reminder, what was happening in the book of Jude? Why was Jude writing this letter? He wrote this letter because the enemy had come into the church. The enemy had come in. And he was trying to create problems. He was sending ungodly people that appeared to be Christians. But he sent them into the church to destroy the people, to destroy the church of God. And he was blinding these people to their sin. See, Satan himself will blind the people of God as well as the non-believers to their sin. See, and what God wants to do is God wants to open our eyes. He wants us to see spiritually with his eyes. When it comes to our lives, when it comes to our behavior, when it comes to our lifestyle. And what he's going to show us today is that if we do not repent and acknowledge these sins, then they will destroy us. You and I will be destroyed by these things. And so God wants to reveal these things to us and he wants to show us, you know what, that there's a better way and his way is much better. I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know, as we think about this, right, the first thing that we are told there is, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Do you know who the God of this age is? The God of this age is the devil himself. You know, God has allowed him to, to have reign among on this earth. But God is only allowing him to do what needs to be done to accomplish the purpose that God has for all of us. But see, God is sovereign, sovereign over all things. And as we're reminded here is the fact that, that the God of this age has blinded people. Think of that, right? The God of this age has blinded people. And as we think about that, does this mean that God, that the God of this age also blinds us to our sin? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And the Spirit of God wants to reveal this to us. The Spirit of God wants to reveal your sins. He wants to convict, uh, convict us of our sins to come into a place of acknowledgement and repentance. And this is what Paul was talking about when he mentioned the God of this age, the devil himself. 
you know, are we listening to the Spirit of God? Are you and I listening to the Spirit of God when He convicts us of this sin? There's sometimes that we close our eyes to it, right? Sometimes that we, we don't want to acknowledge and we think that, you know what, it's okay to think this way or it's not that bad to do these things. And this is what the Lord is going to remind us today. This is what His Spirit wants to speak clearly on us today. You know, there are certain sins that are, that are open and, and are, are easily seen, right? I mean, we can know that we can see fornication, adultery, you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, these things, murder, that, that we can easily see. But there are also these other sins that are sometimes hidden to the visible eye. See, these sins are sometimes sins that, that maybe we sometimes call respectable sins or we say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with these sins. And these are the sins that we're going to talk about because these sins are just as deadly as the ones that the, that the, that the visual eye can see. And with that, let's begin to read in Jude. In Jude, we're going to begin to read in verse 10. Oh, you know what? Let's read the, the full chapter. And let's begin to expound on verse 10. Just so that, again, we have a good, uh, a good sense as to what's going on. Here it says in Jude, verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, you fight, you contend, you struggle for this truth. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him an reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And last week we've talked about this. We talked about the messengers that God sends, I mean that the devil sends, and also the messengers that God sends. We were talking about angels, and we were talking about other instruments like ourselves, which are people, people of God. And we talked about the spiritual battle, this visual, th this battle that is going on before us that we can't see with our eyes, with our visual eyes. But we know that it is happening. And now we will get into the message that God has for us today. The message that God has for us today is, but these speak evil whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things, they corrupt themselves. They corrupt themselves. In other words, they destroy themselves. They allow these things to take over. They allow these things to grow. And these sins that they have will destroy them. And so let's talk about the two interesting points that 
Jude shares in verse 10. He says, they speak evil whatever they do not know. They speak evil of the things that they do not know. See, these ungodly men, again, we're talking about ungodly men. We're talking about people that call themselves Christians and come into the churches to destroy them. These people are, of course, instruments of the devil, right? And they come in and they come in and they try to destroy and create problems and destroy the church as well as the people. While we know that they are blinded by Satan, this is the whole thing that we're talking about today. Remember, we are talking about people that are blinded by Satan. Their sins are blinded by Satan. And these people that came in, they come in as it says there. It says, speaking evil of what they do not know. See, they speak evil of the things that they do not understand. What are these things that they do not understand? These are the spiritual things. These are the truths of God. And I think many of us were in this same situation before, right? Before we came to know the Lord, before we said, you know what, Lord, I am surrendering my life to you. You know what, did we understand the things of God? I don't think many of us understood these truths, right? I mean, I think that you, were, you and I, we didn't understand the things of God. And, and there was a reason for this because... God's spirit didn't dwell within us. See, as we think about these things, right? It also says there, it says, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. See, unless we know the truth of God, I want you to know one thing. Unless you have the spirit of God dwelling within you, you're not going to understand the spiritual things. I want to take you back. To the time when you were a non-believer, before you surrendered yourself to the Lord. And for those that have not surrendered themselves to the Lord, you know, I'm going to take you to the time where you're at now. Do you remember as you were invited to church or you were, or somebody came to you to share the gospel? How did you react to them? Do you remember how you reacted to them? You know, I remember the way I would react, right? I'd be like, you know what? These guys, you know what, as they came to share, I'd be like, you know, I'd be mocking them, making fun of them, right? I'd be, you know what, saying, you know what, I don't need that stuff, right? I don't need any of that stuff. And, and you know what, and people would bring me flyers, and I'd look at the flyers, and I'd toss them, and I'd be like, man, they keep giving me this stuff. Look at the way they act and talk. And you know what, it was just making fun of them, right? We were ridiculing them. Why would we ri ridicule them? You know, that was my initial reaction to them, right? See, but as the Lord was calling me, and as I began to examine their lifestyles, I knew that there was something different about them, right? That their behavior, even though I ridiculed it, I wanted it. See, because their behavior was godly. It, it was right with my soul, right? It was, it was what the Spirit of God was convicting me of, right? He was convicting me of my sin, and He was revealing that sin to me. And so what He was, this, what he was showing me is, he was showing me, look at the way they act versus the way you act. Look at the way they behave versus the way you behave. You know, and I would look at their love for God, and they'd be talking about God, and I'd be ridiculing that too, right? How many of us did the same thing? How many of us would ridicule their love for God? And we'd poke fun at it. See, this is the way we are, right? This is the way they are. As he talks about these ungodly men. He says they poke fun 
that th the things that they don't know because they don't understand the spiritual things. I want us to open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians because it speaks of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. This is just a reminder. As we talk about the Spirit of God, and we talk about the natural man and the spiritual man. It says in verse 10, it says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the, th the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Let's stop here. What I want you to know, what the Bible is saying there is that the natural man understands the things of man, right? We understand the natural things. We understand the sins, right? We understand these things because this is what we walked in. But in order to understand the spiritual things, we need to have the Spirit of God living in us. This is the only way for us to understand the things of God. And when do we receive the Spirit of God? When we come to the faith in Jesus Christ, right? When we believe in Him. When we surrender our lives to him, when we say, yes, Lord, I want you in my life, guess what the Lord puts in us? He places in us his spirit to dwell in us. When the Bible refers or when the Bible talks as we go back to, oh, I'm sorry. No, let's keep reading. He says, these things we also speak not in words with, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He is saying, and what Paul is saying here is that the only way for us to know the things of God is when the Holy Spirit teaches us. And when he says there that it is by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, that we can receive these things and we can know these things. And this is why he says you and I are spiritually discerned. We can discern these things because the Spirit of God is revealing these truths to us. And so this is what Paul was trying to convey to us. And as we go back, talking about the natural man, right? Let's go back to Jude because we know that the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit, but the natural man only understands the things of man. This is why before we came to know the Lord, we only understood the things of man. And this is why we would continue to sin. Because we had no idea that we were sinning against God, or if we did, we didn't care. As we look there, he says, in, in verse 10, he says, And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. See, what Jude is trying to say is that the things of man, these are the natural things. And what are these natural things? We're talking about the the things of the flesh, the cravings of our flesh, the lust of the flesh, the things that we desire to fulfill ourselves with, these are the things, these are the natural things of man. And he gives sort of a, an analogy there. He says that they're like brute, brute beasts. When you think about these, right? When you think about what he's saying here, there are natural instincts that an animal has, right? And this animal will do them no matter what. 
it's not that he has to learn them. It's not that you have to train them. But there's natural instincts that they have. And they're going to do them. This is the way we are when it comes to sin. See, this is what Jude is trying to remind us of right now, that these are the things that we do. Just like them, we will corrupt ourselves because this is what our sinful nature is. It will corrupt us. And as he says there, you know what? They come natural to us, right? And they will bring on destruction. See, these things are not spiritual, but they are carnal, and they they come with carnal influence. When we look at what uh, Romans 6 tells us, right? He tells us, what are the wages of sin? Death, right? This is exactly what he's talking about. The wages of sin is death. See, the appetite and the cravings of a natural man that practices these things, that lives these things out, will bring destruction. And as he talks about this, right, he wants to talk about three men to give us a visual as to what is the message that he has for us. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time in, in verse 11. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. I want to talk about first what he starts off there in verse 11. He says, Woe to them. You know, what does woe mean? You know, many times in the Bible, I want to share this with you, many times in the Bible, Woe is spoken of, right? Jesus always said, woe to the scribes and the Pharisees, right? And Isaiah also talked about woe. He, has, he talks about this judgment and these woes that come to people. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 5.20. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, what he's saying, you got it all backwards when it comes to the spiritual things of God. When you're calling good evil and evil good, when, as he says there, as, when you're calling light darkness and darkness light, and when he's saying you're calling sweet bitter and bitter sweet, he's saying woe to them. And I think that's the world that we live in today, isn't it? You know, when they look at the things of, that are good, the things that Christians represent, they don't like it. And we see sort of a, a, a battle and a, a, uh, a fight against the things that are of God. And this is the world that we live in, and it's only going to get darker. And they're only going to call evil good. You know, as they talk about, you know, just the things that are happening in our world today. You know, it, it is just, you know, what it, it's just the depravity of man, the, the immorality that is rampant within our nation. But let's talk about woe. I didn't get into what woe means. You know, what is it that woe means? As he says there, woe to them. See, what he is saying is that their future looks grim. What he's saying is woe means that you're headed for destruction. That there's judgment coming your way. And when he puts an exclamation mark, that's exactly what he's saying. You know what? Woe is coming your way. You know what? You are headed for destruction. He says judgment is coming and this is based on what you're doing how you're living and the things that you are promoting see these ungodly people were coming into the churches and they were teaching these things and they were they were actually 
you know what, moving people to practice these things. And so this is why Jude says, you know what, they've gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. In order to get a better understanding of what these men were doing, we need to examine the lives of Cain, of Balaam, and of Korah. We need to look at exactly what happened to these men. Because it's important for you and I to understand that these three men, they all knew God. Every single one of them knew God. Every single one of them heard from God. Every single one of them had spoken to God, and yet they still lived in sin. See, there were these sins that didn't come out in the open initially, but it started with sin, and it elevated itself into showing and displaying this sinful behavior. As we look at this, right, we are going to have insight. We're going to be, we're going to, we're going to have insight from God on certain sins. Certain sins that Satan blinds, and as he says, that they eventually will corrupt themselves. They effect, uh, eventually will be destroyed. And see, and these are the sins that God wants to take out of us. He wants us to acknowledge these sins that are in my heart. They're not easily displayed for everybody, but they're in my heart. And God is saying, I want these sins to be displayed. I want you to see these sins, and I want you to repent of them. Because they grow and grow, and eventually they will destroy us. See, many times sin is compared to what? Cancer, right? Why is sin compared to cancer? Because when it starts, you don't see it, right? But what we know about cancer is that if you catch it in time, it can be treated, right? We all know this. But there comes a time when cancer is terminal and it can't be treated anymore. When it comes to sin, sin spreads, right? But when you repent, it's treated. But if you never repent of it, then it is terminal. Death comes upon you, and that's the wages of sin, which is death. We're going to talk about Cain. That's the first person we're going to look at. And we're going to talk about sins that led him to do exactly what he did. Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. And let's read about Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read and then we'll, we're going to talk about it. In verse 1, he says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass 
when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? We're going to stop there. Let's talk about these two, right? We're talking about Cain and Abel. What we see here is that Cain is the oldest brother. Okay, Cain is the elder, and then we have Abel, who's the younger brother. We also know that Cain was a farmer, and Abel was what? He was a shepherd, right? And one thing that we also know about them is that Cain brought an offering, and Abel also brought an offering. But one thing that we know is that one of the offerings wasn't accepted by God because he respected the offering that Abel gave. See, when we look at this, right, when we look at what we just read, we, read, we see that Cain became angry. Cain became angry, and his countenance fell. When we look at this, right, why is it that Cain would become angry? Why is it that his countenance fell? See, Cain had some heart issues. And these heart issues were never covered. They were never addressed. He never came to the Lord in proper fashion to ask him for forgiveness. See, as we look at this, right, the Bible gives us greater insight as to the sin of Cain. And I want us to read this. Let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, oh, let's read from verse 11. Oh, let's read from verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. As we're talking about, again, you know, we're talking about the people of God and the people of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is a message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. You know, as we think about this, right, there was something that Cain did that was wrong. And as a reminder, they both knew Cain. I mean, they both knew the Lord. Remember, the Lord spoke to Cain and said, Hey, Cain, where's your brother? Hey, Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? I want you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews. In Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 4, this gives us the insight. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. See, what we have here is the fact that the sacrifice that Abel gave was excellent. 
And the sacrifice that Abel gave brought him righteousness. See, for us to understand the offerings that they both gave, it's important to understand what the law of God requires. Turn, open, it's a previous chapter, Hebrews 9, chapter uh, verse 22. It gives us insight. It says, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. See, what we have here is the fact that because both of these men knew God, and they knew the ways of God, and God had taught them his ways, they knew what they should have brought. See, Abel knew that, you know what, I have to kill an animal in order for my sons to be covered. In order for me to have the right, uh, right standing with God, in order for me to approach God, in order for me to have fellowship with God, to say, hey, God, and to have a relationship with him, right, to be one with him. But Cain rejected that, and Cain says, you know what? I'm going to bring you fruit. And God says, you know what? Fruit, my friend, that doesn't allow you to approach me. See, you're a sinner, Cain, just like your mom and dad were. See, your mom and dad, when they sinned and they ate that forbidden fruit, guess what happened? What did God do? God had to kill an animal, and he says that he grew, uh, that he clothed him with skins of a tunic, right? In other words, or tunic skins. I think I got that backwards. But in other words, he clothed them with the skins of an animal. In other words, for their sins, God had to slay an animal because there is no forgiveness of sins unless there's what? The shedding of blood. And that could only happen if their sins were covered. And the only way to cover them was with the sacrifice, the shedding of blood. See, for us, we know that our sins aren't covered, right? Our sins are actually cleansed and forgiven. Why are they cleansed and forgiven? Because who shed his blood for us? Jesus Christ. See, but before Jesus Christ came, they needed a covering. And so Abel got it right, and Abel said to himself, you know what, I got to kill one of my best animals, my first, you know what, the firstborn, and I'm going to very best to the Lord. And so his was accepted. But Cain's wasn't. See, and what happened here is that Cain became angry. Genesis 4, 5 tells us that Cain was angry. What is anger? Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure, right? Think of that. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure. He had strong displeasure towards someone. See, our anger usually comes against others, doesn't it? And sometimes we hold that anger in, don't we? There's other times that we let it out. We lash out, right? Whether we uh, physically or mentally or verbally abuse somebody, this is what happens. But what God is trying to remind us today is that if there is anger in your heart, we got to confess it. If you are holding anger towards somebody else, towards a situation, towards people, towards, you know, whoever it may be, don't let it grow and fester. 
See, what ended up happening to Cain is that it went further. He became envious. And envious, envy is the green-eyed monster. And what does a green-eyed monster like to do when you are envious at somebody? You will do whatever you can to mess them up, to destroy them, and eventually you will murder them. You can do it physically or you can do it in your mind. See, this envy is not so easily seen. These are the sins that Satan blinds us with. Where we think that, you know what, it's okay for me to be envious of somebody. You know what, it's okay. You know what, there's no big deal. No one knows about it. I'm going to harbor it inside my heart. I'm going to keep it in. And you know what, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Because anytime you look within the Bible, the Bible is filled with illustrations for us. The Bible tells us that whenever there is envy, there will be murder. You look at Joseph. Was he not envied by his brothers? And what did their brothers do? You know what? Their brothers in their minds, they were saying, we're going to kill him, right? Their plot was to kill their brother Joseph because they were envious of him. Why were they envious of him? Because their dad loved them more. And they became envious. And so what they do is they say, you know what, let's kill him. And then they say, you know what, no, we can't do that. Why don't we do this? Let's throw him in a pit, right? And then, or, or whatever, you know what, we'll, we'll let him die there. We'll let him rot there, right? And then they said, you know what, let's not do that. What we should do is let's just sell him. Let's sell him off. And they sold him into slavery. See, the progression of envy is towards murder. Whether it's mentally or whether you're going to allow it to come out. When you think about King David, what happened to Saul? King Saul, right? He was just, you know what? He had, he was the first king of Israel. And this man, in his heart, he began to grow envious of David. And why did he grow envious of David? Because the people started praising David. They started saying, wow, look at David. Wow, look at the battles and the victories that David is having. And so what happened to King Saul? King Saul allowed this green-eyed monster to take over. And guess what he did? He tried to kill David. How many attempts did he have on David's life? David was a fugitive. David was running wild away from King Saul, because King Saul wanted to kill him. See, when we have envy within our hearts, we are blinded by Satan. Did King Saul know that his heart was filled with envy? Did the brothers of Joseph know that their hearts were filled with envy? They and themselves thought, hey, you know what? It's not right. I should be the same way as them. Why are they getting special treatment? I should receive it too. And they began to have envy towards Another. See, envy is being upset or resentful with someone else's success. That's the definition of envy. Being upset or resentful with someone else's success. See, anger and envy are deadly. When you're, they're put together, they are deadly. And this is what we're talking about here, right? We are talking here about the actions that come from a man that is anger, angry and envious. And this is what Satan says. It's no big deal. 
See, these are the sins that are hidden in our hearts. Who can see envy in another man? No one can see it until it is displayed through action. And the action that is displayed is when you are wanting to hurt somebody else. That's what it leads into. And it leads into murder. See, Satan loves to blind us of so many sins. He doesn't want us to repent of these things because he knows that ultimately, if it's stirred up in you and it stays in you, it will lead you to destruction. This is what the natural man does. And this is what the devil wants to do to us. In Proverbs 14.30, it says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Think of what that means. A rotting bone. You know, rotten things decay. Rotten things actually decompose, right? Rotten things end up smelling. This is what envy ends up doing to us. You know, the aroma that we have, the stench that we have, the stench that it produces. See, none of us, if we have envy towards another, the only way to heal the envy is to ask God for forgiveness. See, we can be envious of people. And I want you to know this. When people get promoted at jobs, just like Joseph and his brothers, when our brothers, our sisters, our family members are more loved and acknowledged than we are? What about in the ministry? When you see others being elevated and, and, and used by God and we say, why can't we be used that way? You know what? Why is it that only they are used that way? See, we can easily become envious of other people. And this green-eyed monster will move you to do things that aren't of God. See, Jude says that these teachers, as we go back, he says that these ungodly people, they have gone in the way of Cain. See, Cain knew what was acceptable to God. Remember, God spoke to them, and they knew, he knew that he should have brought an animal to sacrifice or to cover his sin. But he decided not to do that. And, and I think about this, right? It speaks to us. Because if he knew what was acceptable to God and he didn't do it, but he thought that the sacrifices were sufficient, how does that speak to us? See, there are many people that come to the church and they give up their time and they say, you know what, I went to church and because I'm at church, I'm fine with God. See, they look to themselves, right? They look to their attendance, to their sacrifice, to their coming to church to say, you know what, I'm good. But in reality, they're still living a lifestyle that is filled with sin, just like Cain. Cain that had anger, envy, and murder. He thought his sacrifices were sufficient. See, coming to church doesn't make us right with God. You know what makes you right with God? Your faith in God. And what does faith produce? Produces good works. See, our faith is displayed by good works. The evidence of your faith is your good works. And as we look at this, right, we saw the works that Cain did. And many people are on 
this work trip, I want you to understand that people think that by coming to church that they're okay and they're not okay. None of us are okay. Just because we sit here and we hear the word of God, it doesn't matter unless we believe in Jesus Christ, unless we place our faith in him and allow his spirit to move in us and his word to transform us and to do amazing things in us. We're not the same anymore. Once you and I surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ, there should be a transformation that is evident for all to see. We got to keep moving on. Let's talk about Balaam. And let's go to Numbers 22. In Numbers 22, we have the story of Balaam, and let's read it. Numbers 22 says, Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab, on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Am Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the, of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick us everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pithor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and him who you curse is cursed. They want to get rid of the Israelites. And the only way to do that is to hire this diviner, this guy that practices magic, this guy that looks and gathers his power from Satan. Verse 7, so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to him, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princesses of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Again, God appearing and speaking to Balaam. This is key. So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Sippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people who has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. God did not allow Balaam to curse the people of God, and there were numerous times that Balaam tried to do that. And guess what? God did not allow him to do that. See, this man, he knew the true and the living God. He saw the Lord. He spoke to him. But yet there was something else in his heart. And this is what we're going to talk about. I'm going to read to you from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his inequity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the badness of the prophet. See, the sin of Balaam was greed. He had the greed monster in his heart. 
He loved money. This is what he wanted. See, he eventually went to the king more and says, you know what? God is not allowing me to curse them. But what I can do is we can lead them to sin if you pay me. If you pay me, I will let you know how you can lead them to sin. And you know what he allowed them to do or how he led them to sin? He brought women, women of Moab, the Moabites and the Midianites. The, these women he brought and he allowed them to commit sexual immorality because when they worship their gods, what they would do is they would prostitute themselves. They would have all kinds of orgies and all of that. And so they brought the people of Israel, the men of Israel, to see this, himse to see this themselves. And they began to fall into that same sin. And they began to worship this other God. And so Balaam received his field. He received his money. See, greed, greed will move us and will destroy us. It will move you into destruction. I want to read to you from 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. For the love of money, the love of it, is the root of all kinds of evil. And it says, for some have strayed from the faith. In order to stray from the faith, you must belong to the faith. So what does greed do to you? Greed moves you to destroy you. See, as we think about this, right, the love of money this is a sin, this greed. We are blinded by Satan, right? Because the world promotes money. The world says you want things, earn it. Work hard. You know what? Forget about God. Forget about these things. You know what? If you love things, if you want possessions, if you want money, then you know what? Go after them. Don't worry about the things of God. You know what? Can't come to church? Don't worry about it. Can't serve at the church? Don't worry about it. You know what? Can't do the things of God? Don't worry about it. Just serve. I mean, just work and make money. You know, this is the way things are. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one or love the other. You know, as we think about this, right? We must understand that if we are going after worldly things and worldly possessions, then we've lost it. If this is all we're living for, then we've lost it. We're headed for destruction. See, God says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that you need will be added to you. Do you trust God in this? See, greed, this greed monster will drive you to destruction. And this is what the Lord is saying, and this is what Jude was saying. You know what? These men, all they care about is, is, is possessions and things and money. You know what they're doing is they're selling off their ministry, their gifts to make money. You know, these men that were leaders and these men that, had, that, that, that received gifts of God, right, to do the things of God, they were prostituting them for money. This is what they wanted, and this is what they were doing. See, they use the ministry, they use the, their gifts for the purpose of material gain. And this is what we are also blinded to. 
You know, when money becomes our God or if money becomes, you know, the things that we live for and we forget the things of God, then you know what? We're headed for destruction. The last person that we're going to look at is Korah. And let's open up our Bibles to Numbers chapter 16. In Numbers chapter 16, it says there, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abarim, the sons of Eliab, and on the son and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. They rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So these guys were leaders. And they came. They rose up before Moses. And in verse 3 it says, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, will he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them. And before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is a holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. He's telling Moses and Aaron. Then Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve him and that he has brought you near to himself? You and all the brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And are you speaking the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Datham and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Will you not come up? Let's stop there. What we have here is the fact that these men, these men of Korah, began to be filled with pride. Okay? I want you to understand one thing. These men began to elevate themselves. See, they had a high opinion of themselves. They felt superior to Moses and Aaron. See, they felt that they were just as good, and the men that were with them, they all said, we can do a better job than Moses. See, when it comes to pride, understand one thing about pride. Pride is having a higher opinion of yourself. It is thinking that you are superior than others. See, when we look at this, right, you begin to think that you can be better than somebody else. And what happens is that usually a proudful man will begin to speak to others about will begin to speak to others that have that have a higher position than them. 
See, Korah began to plant these negative seeds with everybody else. See, pride will lead you into a place of rebellion. And this is exactly what took place here. Do you remember the devil when he was in heaven? We read it last week, right, in Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah chapter 14, what did he say? Let me read that. It was the five eyes, right, the pride that he had within himself. In Isaiah chapter 14, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the Lord, the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will, also, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. See, the devil himself began to think that he was equal as God. See, God was higher than him, but he began to elevate himself and to make himself feel superior to God. And what did he do? He began to plant these negative seeds, these seeds of pride with a third of the angels, and they all fell for it. And they caused a rebellion against who? Against God. They were all cast out of heaven. See, one thing about pride, pride will cause you to rebel. That's what it does. These are things that are within our hearts that are not visible until the Lord reveals these things to us. When we begin to think, you know what, I'm superior than them, or I'm just as good as them, and I should have this, and I should do this. See, these are the works of the devil, and the devil, they're not as apparent because people can't identify them because they're hidden. They're hidden in our hearts. We're not coming out to say, to tell others, hey, you know what, I'm just as good as them, right? Eventually you will, but initially you don't. See, we don't start saying, well, you know what? In your heart, you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what? I'm just as good as he is. Or you know what? I could do better things than he. Or I could do it better, right? This is the way our heart thinks. And this is what God wants to reveal to us. If there are any ounce, if there's any ounce of pride within our hearts, we got to give it up. See, when we don't accept correction, then we got problems. When we think that, you know what, we're better than others, we got problems. When we think that we're superior than others, we got problems. When we start saying, you know what, I could do better than he, or I should be in his or her place, then we got problems. See, we need to have a view of ourselves that we're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God, and we need God in our lives, and I'm no better than you, and you're no better than I. We're all the same. See, God tells us in his word that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In Proverbs 16, 18, it tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You will fall. If there is any ounce of pride within you, you will fall. I remember me before, you know what, in the Lord, and this happened as a believer. Remember Korah, again, the same thing. He saw the cloud. He saw the fire by night. He saw God, uh, you know, when, uh, in, the, in the tabernacle. You know what? He saw the presence of God. He heard the voice of God speak, but yet he couldn't see pride because he was blinded by Satan. 
And of course, what happened there? They rebelled. He caused other men to rebel against the anointed of God, which was Moses and, and the Levites. See, for us, this sin is blinding us. And it will lead you to destruction, just like it led Satan to destruction, right? Just like it led the, men, the, the people of Korah to destruction. Did you know what ended up happening to them? Did you know that the earth opened up and it swallowed each and every one of them? That's amazing, isn't it? Imagine if we were filled with pride and rebellion and the Lord says, anyone with pride and rebellion in this church or in this place, we're going to open up the ground and it's going to allow you to be swallowed up. See, God just wants us to know that there are these secret sins, these sins that aren't visible to the human eye that dwell within our hearts and eventually they grow and they destroy us. And the only way to be rid of these things is to come to a place of saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want this anymore. I need you. You know what? I'm yielding to your spirit. But in order to do this, we have to come to a place of acknowledging that we have it. We talked about envy. We talked about anger. We talked about greed. We talked about pride. We talked about rebellion. And we talked ultimately about murder. Destruction. If there is any ounce of these sins within us, now is the time to make things right with the Lord. And we're going to close, and if someone could get Tony and bring him in here to give us the final song of worship, the Lord is going to give us the opportunity now to repent of our sin, to acknowledge it, because you know God has been convicting you of this sin. God is speaking to you of this sin, and he's asking you to get right with him. So with that, let us be close our eyes, bow our heads, and come and come to him. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for revealing things to us today. We thank